Today we'll be discussing our favorite entertainment that we consumed in 2023, and then we'll preview our most anticipated entertainment of 2024. This is Doctor versus Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. But today is a special episode. Today, we won't have a medical topic, but instead, we'll be discussing our favorite movies, television, books, and music we consumed in 2023. Then we'll preview our most anticipated entertainment of 2024. You know, maybe we should have had a medical topic, huh? Your favorite diseases that you're looking forward to in 2024. They're not diseases yet. They're just like conditions, but you know the medical community. They're going to turn them into syndromes and diseases because that's what they do. Stay tuned. Okay, Ali, we're going to get started with recapping our best of 2023, and then the second half, we'll preview our upcoming anticipated entertainment for 2024. Now, I just wanted to do a recap, but Ali's like, we're already in the new year. You missed out on the recap. That was like a month ago, so let's also do a preview as well as a review, right, Ali? Sure, sure. Yeah, I felt like... I know you like doing things a month after everybody else does, Asif, but I thought, uh, let's yeah. do it to both, huh? We straddle the two. I'm like the opposite of an early adopter, late adopter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. should do that too. Okay, so let's get started. Why don't we talk about movies first? I found this difficult, by the way. Sometimes I was like, oh, yeah, that was 2023. And then I look it up. I was like, no, no, that was 2020. Mm-hmm. I only watched it in 2023 because I, too... And sometimes late to adopt. But anyway, I've done research. I've looked up actual Mm, dates. So I've tried to stick to this. Okay. Why don't you give us your movies that you really liked in 2023? Well, I kept it light. I kept the list light and I kept it a little bit more recent. But I also did that because I really did not see a lot of movies in 2023. I'm embarrassed. So when you hear this, I don't want you to be like, I can't believe he left that out or that out or that out. That's because I didn't see it. Almost a hundred percent chance I didn't see. There's tons of movies that I need to see as I look at best movies of 2023. And I have very few on that list, but you know, the holidays were recently and I was afforded some time. And so I watched Maestro and I know you did as well, Asif. Maestro is truly something I'm at a stage Bradley Cooper and I are both at stage of our lives where whatever he does, I'll just watch it. And it doesn't matter. It might not be good. I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to watch how this man gives everything, every part of him, him himself to his characters. And Maestro is interesting because uh, some of you may know it, you may not. It is the story of Leonard Bernstein. It is, it's described as a love story, a story about love and a story about a family But I also, you know, for me, it's also a story about somebody's absolute, complete devotion to their craft and what they would do for their art. And, you know, it's a love letter to to family, but to art as well. And it's this relationship between Leonard Bernstein and Felicia Montalegre. It doesn't sound like a real name, but uh, she was a real person. And I, I really, the acting was phenomenal. And what was interesting about this too is, you know, co written by. Bradley Cooper, also directed by Bradley Cooper. So you watch it. For, like, I actually cannot wait to watch it a second time. We watched it the first time, a few disturbances, you know, get up, the tea's boiling. Oh, I'm going to go have another snack, this kind of stuff. I'm going to definitely watch it a second time. I, I just, I loved it and I cannot wait to watch it again as soon as I have time. I'll just jump in here with my top movies of 2023 because this is one of them. And then we'll get back to your list. So I thought it makes sense to talk about it now. So what happened is Ali's like, I'm looking for a movie to watch. I'm like, I heard the maestro is really good. I hadn't watched it. And then Ali watched it and then I watched it the next day. So it was my recommendation Mm. to Ali, but I hadn't seen it yet. And I agree with everything Ali said. This is a great movie. I really enjoyed it. I think Bradley Cooper is one of the best directors working today. I know he has really only done this and A Star is Born, but I love those movies and just the way he 
the scenes unfold, they're so good. It's great. So good. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for being such a good director. I think he needs a bigger body of work, and I can't imagine he won't. I think he's a Hollywood darling. People love him and are excited by the work he does. I just think he needs more of a body of, of directing work, and then we'll hear more about him. But it's like, you know, George Clooney has probably directed six or seven movies now. Like, you know, there's Good Night and Good Luck. There's a couple other ones, but like... I don't know. I don't really remember his last four or five movies. That like, So he just goes and makes them. But if you're comparing the two, which I guess I am, I, I just am so uh, impressed by Bradley Cooper. I also loved Carrie Mulligan. She is so oh, good in this movie. I Phenomenal. think like it is one scene after another, just show-stopping. She is great, great actress. And then you just- Flawless, her, flawless performances. And her body of work is so good. So really, I would suggest people check this out. One thing that is interesting is this movie- as well as Napoleon and Oppenheimer. They're strange movies in that they focus a lot on the relationship of these men with their wives. And it's just interesting that it's kind of a theme so far this year, whereas Barbie, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, kind of puts the men aside. And that's one of the themes of it. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting note. But let's get back to your list, Ollie. Next on the list, also very recently watched Iron Claw. It is the true story of the Von Erich brothers. I do recommend you look up a little bit about the Von Erich brothers because I, you know, grew up in Quebec. I am more well-versed in the Quebec wrestling scene and then WWE. I didn't know the Von Erichs as well, maybe as I would have if I lived in other parts of Canada. I knew that there had been, you know, one death in the family. That doesn't even come close to describing what happened to this family. So... This is not a wrestling movie. It is very much about wrestlers and a wrestling family, but you're not watching Nacho Libre here. This is like a dark, captivating drama. For me, if this is about anything, it is about a pretty insane, like they call him this domineering patriarch, but domineering doesn't even come close to describing the father who was also the coach of these brothers and it's this beautiful closeness that these brothers have too. And the tragedy, you don't want to be anywhere near marijuana when you watch it. I mean, it is insanely tragic. Many of you may know already what the tragedy is. I didn't know all of it, but it's just bad thing after bad thing in this family. But it is, I found it such a compelling film. Performances again were just so great. Zach Efron what he does to his body, how he plays this character, phenomenal. Maura Tierney is so good. Jeremy Allen White, is I find him also just great in everything he does. He's really good. But we really have to give a shout out to Holt McCallany. And Holt McCallany plays that, you know, slash psychopath, slash domineering father. If you look at his body of work, it's mostly action films and violence. He's in Fight Club. He's in, you know, Sniper and The Killer and this and it's all like action and, and dark brooding stuff. But man, he was phenomenal in this movie. And it's kind of like, you know, in a family when something is top down, I kind of felt like that in this movie, the acting was kind of top down. He just brought such a great performance that everybody else had to be like, oh, we better, we better reach and give up. Maybe they were going to already, but I, I don't know. It just felt like a phenomenal movie. And that is not the marijuana talking. So I'll just add in for Ali uh, right now that I saw the movie as well. Now, I didn't even recommend it to Ali. We just kind of both realized we had both just seen the movie in the past couple of weeks. I'm a much bigger wrestling fan, so I knew the whole Von Erich story, the story of the patriarch, Fritz Von Erich, who was a bad guy. He played a Nazi villain, you know, in wrestling, but suddenly he became a good guy and his kids were these, you know, all-American, Texas, good-looking athletes. And I agree with everything Ali said. It's a great movie, very kind of sad and depressing, but really well done. Excellent acting. I think Holt McCallany, who played the father, definitely deserves a Best Supporting Actor nomination for the role. I definitely suggested. So now Ali's already picked two movies that are already on my list. So let's see if he can pick any more well, of the list. Given that you've probably watched 150 films last year, for me to have two is not bad. My whole list is four movies, uh, Asif. That's all I've got. The next movie that I really, that had a 
I would say like a very strong, if not profound effect on me was a movie Brother. And I read the book a few years ago. David Cheriandi is a, a Toronto writer who, who wrote this book, Brother. Award-winning novel. This book was on Canada Reads in 2019 when I was hosting it. So beautifully written, as is often the case. I mean, it's an interesting thing with books. Books inform so much of the film that we watch. You, it's like either you're getting sequels or you're getting something from a book, it feels like. And, and it feels, you know, authors are the true great minds behind so many of these, these films we watch and we don't even realize half the time. I was, you know, as is often the case, concerned, will it be translated well with the beauty of the film still come, come across? But in the hands of Clement Virgo, I felt it was so well done. And also, I'll talk about this guy again momentarily, but Lamar Johnson, who plays Francis, I guess he, he is the protagonist of the film and of the book. He and his brother, Michael, played by Aaron Pierre, they do a phenomenal job. Their mother is so incredible. Again, it is... It is deeply uh, sad and tragic, but it is a beautiful, beautiful story about, you know, young black men in the suburbs of Toronto in, in Scarborough in the 90s. It's a story about music. It's a story about community and bonds between siblings and family. And I, I don't know, I just found it so beautiful. And again, the, the, the acting performances were just a, a, at another level. And I, I think it's a, it's a movie worth talking about. I don't know if you've seen it. Asif. I haven't. I haven't. And my daughter read the book, so it's mm -hmm. probably one for my list of movies to watch. And those are three movies with some serious sadness in them. So I thought, let me, what else have I seen that was a little bit lighthearted? So just to even things out a little bit, just to round out the rough edges, I thought I would recommend About My Father, which is Sebastian Maniscalco. You may know him from his uh, large body of comedy work. He's quite the force, or he, he certainly has been quite the force. He himself in an interview recently was talking about like some of the reviews. He's like, I hate to read the reviews, but I'm only human. So once in a while it catches your eye. Somebody's like, ah, he's not as animated as he used to be on stage. And Sebastian's like, I'm 50 years old, guy. Give me a break. Forgot, you know? So he was incredibly animated and, you know, it's, it's a style of comedy. It may not be for everybody. I certainly enjoyed it. I saw him in a very small venue many years ago, about over a decade ago at Just for Laughs, and I fell in love with the guy immediately. So he has this movie about his father. A lot of his comedy is about his actual father. You know, his, his father is a huge force and influence in his life, mostly for the positive. And so Robert De Niro signed on to play his father. And I think I heard an interview about the movie first, about Sebastian, sort of the whole movie kind of being a little bit of a pinch me experience. You know, you grew up, you're watching Robert De Niro. Now Robert De Niro's playing your dad. And off screen, your dad's like thrilled that De Niro is playing him and you're like, dad, don't talk to De Niro too much. All right. Don't talk to him. He's playing me. You know, it's like this weird thing going on behind the scenes. So I just liked it. It's got a little bit of emotion. It's got a little bit of lightheartedness. And I thought it was, it's a sweet movie. I, I, you know, it's strange to have it maybe in the same category as the other three that I mentioned, but I do that intentionally to give you something a little lighthearted to know that I worry that people might think I'm in a dark place if I don't add something lighthearted in there. And you are a comedian by trade. And a I know. And I only have two comedies from 2023 that I would mention. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Well, I'll go through my movies. I'll go through some of them quickly because we've mentioned them on the podcast before. So Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I thought it was a great conclusion to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Ali and I saw that together. Barbie, like we talked about before, it is a really well done movie. I think it's deserving all the award nominations it's getting. I love Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Greta Gerwig's direction. It's it's great. And then Oppenheimer, I still do think about it. Like I mentioned before in the podcast, I do think there's some flaws in the movie, but the acting is so good and the scenes are so good. I definitely want to rewatch it again before the Oscars in a couple months. But then I'll talk about a couple movies that we haven't mentioned so far. Well, okay, Maestro and Iron Claw, as we talked about, those are definitely on my top movies of the year. And then Blackberry. I don't know if you saw this, Ali, Blackberry. No, I haven't. Blackberry is great. It's uh, this film talking about, it's a Canadian movie basically talking about Blackberry, the rise and fall of the Canadian company, made by Matt Johnson, who also stars in it, and has Jay Baruchel in it, and Glenn Howerton. 
Glenn Howerton plays Jim Balsilli, who's the CEO of RIM. And I didn't really know Glenn Howerton. He's from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I probably only seen a couple episodes of that show. I know it's a cult classic. I didn't realize he was this good of an actor. He's absolutely amazing. It's a lot of fun. It's a it's a well done movie. I would say you can probably tell it's a Canadian movie just because it's also filmed in Waterloo, Ontario, which is where Research in Motion was headquartered. So it's very realistic from that point of view. One of my friend's brothers worked for RIM during this time, so I'm curious to see if he thinks this is accurate or not. But uh, really good movie, well done. So I highly suggest people check that out. And then probably, it's hard right now because I just saw these movies recently. Maestro may be the best movie I've seen this year, but the other one is probably Killers of the Flower Moon. This is Scorsese's new movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. It tells the story of a series of murders of Osage members. So this is a Native American, which is the term they use in the U.S., group of people living in the Osage Nation in the 1920s. Now, what happened was, if people don't know the story, the Osage Nation, oil was discovered on the Osage Nation land. And so they became the wealthiest people per capita in the world at that time. And basically, people in that group of the Osage, the tribal members, started being murdered. And it all had to do with white people marrying into their families, killing them so they could inherit this money. And there's a huge series of murders that, that went on. And basically, the investigation of these murders is what formed the investigative branch of the FBI. So the FBI was created kind of because of this investigation. And so it follows what goes on here. Just extremely well done. So it's taking a lot of the themes of violence and this illegal activity that Scorsese has focused on so much and focusing it on this event that occurred in the early 1920s. It's a great movie. It's long. It's the three hours. I didn't find it dragged the way Oppenheimer did. And there is a performance by Lily Gladstone, who plays DiCaprio's wife in it. And she is just absolutely amazing. Really, you to see her in the award season as well, just like we mentioned with Carrie Mulligan. So I think this is probably the best movie I saw last year. Highly recommended. Curious to see what people think about it, and I'll be curious to see what you think about it when you eventually see it, but it's great. I've seen nothing on your list except the two that we've seen, but those are all like to be seen. I, I have to do it before another year passes and I haven't seen. And I love Scorsese. I mean, I would totally watch this movie. So should we move on to TV there, Ali? Let's move on to TV, dude. Hey, go ahead. I will. So the first... I don't think I'm going to go into too much detail on all of these, except for one or two. I think we've talked about Succession, and the final episode of Succession was this year, and I can't say enough good things about that show. I think I said it when we were talking about Succession. There's no reason somebody like me, who you know resents the wealthy as much as I do, should be so compelled to watch this show about like unethical, immoral you know, kind of sort of borderline psychotic family of, of wealthy people who, you know, are, are despicable most of the time. And yet it speaks to what this show is. It's just so, so compelling, such great acting, such great storytelling. The writing is just phenomenal. So Succession, if you haven't seen it, I mean, you got to get on that. A couple of shows from Apple Plus Shrinking started the year 2023, started with Harrison Ford and what's our buddy's name, huh? Siegel? Jason Siegel, for the love of God, doing a really good job together. I, I, I thought that was great. I really like Harrison Ford, too. I think he plays these great characters, and he's, he's best when he's a curmudgeon. But this was a little deeper than that, right? He's, he's suffering through a you know, mental decline and, and coming to terms with, with that. I really enjoyed that show. Fingernails on Apple TV I recently watched. It was interesting. It's in the spirit of Severance, another Apple Plus show that I watched. Very slow moving, somewhat dystopian. It's a crazy, like you, you, you take two people's fingernails and you do a test with their fingernails after you pull them out. So it's a painful process. And you can see if they are 100% aligned, meaning one person loves the other and that other person loves the other and they're meant to be together or if they're 50% aligned or not aligned at all. And yeah, you can imagine some people are like, we're in love, we don't need to do this. We don't need to do a test. I don't need to have my fingernail pulled out. And when it is pulled out, 
you have a Band-Aid on your finger, so everybody's very aware, and they're like, oh, how did the test... You know what I mean? So it's all... It's a very, like, multi-layered, weird show that I really enjoyed. And Riz Ahmed is another guy. I'll just watch whatever he does. You know, we talked at length about him on this show, but uh, big fan of his. Beef on Netflix, I thought was... I would wake up in the morning excited to watch the next episode of Beef. And if my wife ever told me, I don't know if we, I'm going to have time to watch tonight, I was like more than disappointed. I just found it to be one of the best shows. And, you know, on paper, it's a little bit one note sometimes. Both of them are so angry at each other. They have very angry beefs with each other, both these lead characters. And... That could get tiresome, but the way they play it, the choices both these actors made, Ali Wong is really defied all of my expectations about what her acting would be like. Really, truly phenomenal in this. And the story also goes to such crazy places you don't think it's going to go to. Beef is like highly recommend. If you have not seen the show, you definitely should. The other one on TV was The Last of Us. With Pedro Pascal. We talked about that. We did an episode of Last of Us. And that's where I was going to mention Lamar Johnson also. He is so good. And when you, you remember that episode where him and his little brother are sort of picked up along the way? I mean, just so phenomenal. And this is what the show did. It picked up incredible interesting characters who were incredible actors along the way. And you you fall in love with them through the episode. They become like someone you want to go down, you know, along a journey with, and then the journey's over. You're like, what? What What did you do to me? What do you, What does this show do? And I'm like, just the heartstrings this show could pull at. I mean, really, one of the best shows I've ever watched in my life, I would say, The Last of Us. And then finally, I have to talk about The Bear, which is a great show from a thousand different perspectives, but specifically... This fish episode in the second season. You know which episode I'm, I'm talking 100% about? I 100% know what you're talking about. Man, what an episode. I mean, I can't. First of all, I watch, you know, it's like the holidays are still fresh. I would say watch it now. if you, Even if you have not watched the second season, just go and watch. I think it's episode six. It's called Feast of the Fishes. And there's something like the whole episode, before the episode even starts, it's like, what is the Feast of the Fishes? This is a tradition with some Italians. Some Italians have no connection to it whatsoever, but, but some Italians do this. In itself, there's something comedic and ironic about it because it is meant to be a kind of an ode, similar to what Muslims do when they fast. It's similar to a fast. It's sort of like to remember Jesus's you know, suffering. You don't have any meat. You have this feast of seven fishes. Now, once you're having seven fishes, there's no suffering happening. You're eating quite well, but this shows how much meat Italians typically like to eat. So this is typically Christmas Eve and you have this feast of seven fishes. And so it opens with the kitchen just... It's an insane asylum in there. It's just... There's sauce everywhere. And it was just a reminder of a family who we used to visit on a, on a regular basis, my family friends, Uncle Matloub, Auntie Mary Lou. He was from Pakistan. She's from Kansas or Kentucky, I think. And every Thanksgiving, Auntie Mary Lou, as a, as a good American, she would have American Thanksgiving in her home. And it was insanity. The kitchen was not big enough. And it, it, it wasn't as, you know, the anger wasn't there, but certainly the mess was there. And I was reminded of that. And so in this effort to make this Seven Fishes Feast, and that is hard to film, that is hard to direct with all the, the continuity of this coming out, this going in, this and the, the time. I mean, and Jamie Lee Curtis, and the cast of that episode also, it's just people you don't expect, you don't, do not expect to see John Mulaney playing the role there. That I don't know if I've ever seen him do any acting. He's great. Jamie Lee Curtis, that's probably the best. And I... I'm a fan, but I've never seen her do anything as incredibly as that role. John Bernthal, I don't know if people know who John Bernthal is. This guy is probably one of my top 10 actors. I absolutely love this dude. Look up John Bernthal and see what he, what he has done. Just a phenomenal actor, trained in... Let me read this to you here, Asif, one second. John Bernthal, by the way, played the Punisher in the yes. TV show that was on Netflix, I believe. He was in The Walking Dead the first few seasons. You got it. Often plays these dark, brooding characters, but does it so, so well. He was in Wolf of Wall Street. That was the first time he caught my eye. He was in Sicario, which is a, another great performance, Baby Driver. 
He was really, really good in Wind River. And I think once I saw him in Wind River, I was like, I'm going to start paying real attention to this guy. It's a smaller role in Wind River, and he's being bullied by all these other guys who sort of work, you know, in the, the, this winter uh, oil rig type of guys. He's really, really good. And he's a guy who, you know, trained in Moscow and then was discovered at the Moscow Art Theater by somebody from Harvard and then was invited to do his master's in Harvard. I mean, truly like incredible actor, method actor, all this kind of stuff. So anyway, he's great. Bob Odenkirk is in this episode as well. I mean, it's just insane, man. It is really insane, the cast and the performances of all those people. So if I leave you with one television show to watch, if your time is tight, it is The Bear, although I would love for you to watch all the things I just mentioned, but especially that one episode, Feast of the Fishes is an incredible, incredible episode. And it's like a, it's double the length of most of the episodes. It's like a real, like a, 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 a film almost. It's almost like a film and so great. Well, I will get back to those couple of those shows in a second. Will you? Well, yeah, but I'll do my list. A lot of the ones are ones, again, we've either mentioned before or we've talked before in the podcast, so I'll just mention what we do in the shadows, Barry, final season Oh, Barry. Barry. I forgot that Barry was oh, 2023. Yes. Party Come Down, on. which was the revival of Party Down, which we talked about. Jury Duty, which was just so oh, much fun. We did an episode. So good. Very highly downloaded episode, by the way, our Jury Duty episode. I'll talk about a few that we haven't talked about. So when it comes to like animation, comic book heroes, animation, Archer had its final 14th season this year. Archer's I'm still sorry w- for your loss. Last <laughs> still one of the funniest shows on television. Jessica Walter, when she passed away last year, the show lost a lot when she left. And so I think they kind of said it's time to wrap it up. So they did one more season and kind of wrapped up a lot of the storylines. Just great. If you've never seen Archer, very vulgar, very funny. And then a, a few on Prime Video. Invincible is this a cartoon by Robert Kirkman. Again, it has a who's who list in the cast. Sandra Oh, J.K. Simmons, Stephen Ewan. Tons of fun that came back at the end of 2023. And then Gen V, which is kind of a, a spin-off series from The Boys on Prime Video. Again, if you like The Boys, the hyper-violent satire of superheroes, it's it was a lot of fun. And then one that it hasn't finished yet, there's still a couple more episodes to go in 2024, is The Curse. So The Curse is Nathan Fielder. So I discovered Nathan Fielder last year because I caught up on the rehearsal. And if you guys don't know who Nathan Fielder is, he is like this Canadian comedian who just is the king of cringe comedy and taking real life situations. And usually they're more like documentaries that he does, or at least based in reality. This is a fictional show that he's in. He stars in it with Emma Stone and Benny Safdie. So Benny Safdie, you guys, he was actually in Oppenheimer and a couple of their movies this year, but the Safdie brothers made Uncut Gems, the Adam Sandler movie. And the Safdie brothers specialize in this ratcheting up tension in their movies, right? That's what Uncut Gems is. And then they also are combining with Nathan Fielder, who ratchets up the cringe and just like, I can't believe this is happening on screen. So the combination of these people together, again, it's a fictional show. Emma Stone, this is one of the best performances I've ever seen on television. It is so good. She's so subtle. It's unbelievable. She That's saying a lot because she is phenomenal in pretty much everything she does. And there is a new movie she's in, Poor Things, I believe it's called. I haven't seen it yet, but she's supposed to be amazing in that too. But she's such a great actress, but she's so good, so subtle. I think she had a lot of fun working off them. So it's not for everybody. Very cringy, kind of meanders a bit. So it's like, it probably could have been tightened up a bit as a show. So it's definitely not for everybody. But I think if you like Nathan Fielder or Benny Safdie, then you should see it. And then my top two shows of the year were mentioned by Ali. They were the top two ones that he mentioned. The Last of Us is such a great show. I'm so happy for the creators and the stars of it that it's getting all this attention. Again, as I mentioned before on our episode, it's based on a video game. And the purpose, what they wanted to do was prove that video games can be art. And basically, the first season is the first video game. That's exactly what happens in it. Again, there's no fighting and stuff like that. Like, you don't control any characters, but the plot is the same. So when Ali is praising it as someone who's never played a video game, doesn't play a lot of video games, and saying, like, this is one of the best shows he's ever seen, I think it's really important. Yeah, proving their point. And as I mentioned to people, do not read 
or listen to any spoilers about what happens in the subsequent video games because you want to go into this unspoiled, just like many people went to The Last of Us. But to me, the best TV show of the year is The Bear, as Ali said. It is so good. It was just on another level this season with them kind of creating their fine dining restaurant. A lot of people love the episode that Ali talked about. I love, I think, the episode after that, which is Forks, which is so Richie great. going yeah. and learning how to stage in a fine dining restaurant. The best restaurant in the country, I yeah, think, not yeah. just a fine dining restaurant. It's that journey that he goes on in that episode is so beautiful. It's and he just goes, yeah, he beautiful. goes from one of your least liked characters to probably yeah. your favorite character on the show. It really is just superbly done. It was great. I watched the bear. Then as I told people, I went to Copenhagen, went to a bunch of similar kind of restaurants. So it was a really great experience, but it's such, it's such a great show. Writing, acting, directing, everything about that show. It, it, to me, it's the best show that's on television right now. So that's my list for 2023. Okay, Ali, let's move on then to music. And we can include comedy albums here if if you like. That's music to my ears, Asif. Okay, you, well, you go ahead then. Okay, well, I think we both agreed on this. I know we did because we did a full episode on uh, Chris Rock's special outrage. Highly anticipated, right? We've been waiting since the famous slap. We have been waiting to see what Chris Rock says. And in, in like a true professional comedian that he is, he said, I'll have something to say, but I will put it out in a special. You don't need to put a microphone in front of me on eTalk Daily or whatever it is. I will have something to say. And so highly anticipated, which comes with its perils, right? You wait a long time for something. You're like, oh, this gets more and more likely that it'll disappoint. He did not. He truly did something wonderful. And I outlined in that episode the best that I could as a comedian, as a performer, how difficult it is to do what he did. He did it in a live set. He did it unedited. It's not Chris Rock's safe space or comfort zone, I should say, to, you know, not, you know, Chris Rock will take over a year to try material in this club and this club and this club and slowly build his hour until it's like bulletproof. This was... For Chris Rock, this was rushed. For many comedians, this was kind of rushed. And it was also in a scenario in that in that environment where you're doing it live, not ideal. And then, you know, with the mic drop at the end, like how many lame, loserish mic drops have you seen over, over the course of your life mm -hmm. where people are like, mic drop, and you're like, that's not yeah. how that works. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It was great. I thought he nailed it. And I thought it was really him showing his skill at the highest level. And then the other special that I really loved and I have been hearing about this special for quite some time. I Mike Birbiglia's podcast is one of my favorite podcasts. He has on other comedians who I really like and respect come on and talk about their comedy and their process, and they go over jokes with each other. They'll pitch jokes. So I've been hearing Mike pitch some of the jokes. I, you know, this, I know that the special was originally called The Old Man and the YMCA, and then he changed that, The Old Man and the Pool. And, you know, he's at an age I can relate to many of the things he's concerned about. You know, and not everyone can make disease and whatever, high blood pressure and other, you know, anxieties and things funny and turn that into fodder for entertainment. But Mike Birbiglia, again, does such a great job. I think my girlfriend's boyfriend, his special from a number of years ago is still like the gold standard for me in terms of a solo show on any of the platforms out there. But I really think the Old Man in the Pool was a great great piece of art. It's an incredible solo show. And then I have one thing in the world of music that I would love to, and if I had spent more time, I wasn't documenting this, but I don't know, how do you normally consume music? Where do you find music? Where does it come to you? Is it just yeah, suggestions from your Spotify yeah, list or what? Suggestions? No. I mean, I don't even know how Spotify list works. I Suggestions, really? you know, sometimes I'll look at the best albums of the year and I'll take a listen to some of those things or if I've heard a band on TV or something, but it, it's hard. I don't know. What about you? I don't typically. Here's how I, here's how I get exposed to new music and it's not always new, quote unquote, you know, new in the truest sense of the word new. It's just new to me. But I go to NPR Tiny Desk concerts. 90% amazing. 
90% bad. Like, that's a great batting average. It's really like, have you ever watched Tiny Desk concerts, Asif? Unbelievable. I don't even, I don't Sorry, even Sorry, no, no. This has been going on since I think 2017, 2016. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's in the NPR offices, I believe in New York. And one of the greatest ones is Sting and Shaggy. I'm a Jamaican in New York, opposite I'm an Englishman in New York, but it's the two of them in this tiny desk area in the office. And sometimes you'll get like seven, you know, horns players and all the, I mean, what they cram into this tiny desk area and what they do is it's one of the most beautiful concepts and just stubbornly sticking to theme. It doesn't matter how many people are in a band. They're like, you're going to be in that tiny area. And it's really, really great. So it's on NPR.org. Look up Tiny Desk. So I was reintroduced to a guy named Sonny Jane. I forgot about Sonny Jane, unfortunately. He used to lead this Bhangra band out of Brooklyn. It was called Red Bharat. And he did a Tiny Desk concert with Red Bharat in 2017, which you should look up. But he is a percussionist and he's a band leader. South Asian guy, Sonny Jane, and his band is called the Wild Wild East. I think his album, he has an album called Wild Wild East too. And they are, it's just joy-filled performances. It is so hype. And NPR, I'll watch the tiny desk for about five minutes, and then it is just on, and it's just kind of like... You know, it's music that's just filling my soul and my study and the environment I'm in. And it's really great. So it's this is like mashup. It's like odes to Bollywood, odes to Sufi music, and even, you know, sort of Italian Westerns. You'll have a, It's really amazing. It's like a really, what do you want to call it? You go places, you travel. It's a journey you go on with his music. And I, I think it's amazing. Sunny Jane on NPR tiny desk concerts. If you have not heard of tiny desk concert, like Asif has not, I urge you to change that. Okay. Well, yeah, it's funny. You were talking about how you get into music. So again, like I was trying to figure out how I do it. So one of them is I saw a band on Saturday Night Live who everybody's heard of this band. It's Boy oh, yeah. Genius. Boy yeah. Genius is Phoebe well, Bridgers, everybody. Julian Baker, Lucy Dacus. So but I saw them like, this band is so good. And so I just got into them towards the end of 2023. And so I, I haven't listened to enough stuff to say, oh, you have to buy this album. Though the new album sounds really good, but they're single, not strong enough. Went to number one, I think, on the U.S. adult alternative charts. That is a great song. And so I'm very excited to get more into Boy Genius. And then one band that I like, it's my favorite American band right now, is the Gaslight Anthem. They've been around since, you know, the mid-2000s. And they took a hiatus for about nine years. And they just came out with a new album this year. It's called History Books. And it's great. The first single is called Positive Charge. Great rocking song. And then they have a duet on it with Bruce Springsteen. Now, the lead singer of the band, Brian Fallon, is often compared to Bruce Springsteen. It's a huge influence. So you listen to any of his songs, he, he sounds a lot like Bruce Springsteen. So, But he's befriended Bruce Springsteen. They've played in concerts before. They've done sets together. So uh, Bruce Springsteen was finally on an album. Okay. So he didn't spend the nine years just chilling. He spent the nine years also making music. Yeah, he has three solo albums at that time. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so, yeah. So th those are my picks for music. Not bad. Not bad. I heard of both of them. So I like that. Now, Ali, we're going to do books, but because I read almost no books this year, I'm going to talk about a podcast instead. So why don't you do your favorite books of the year? Sure. I mean, hey, look, I read a fair amount more than I do anything else, obviously more than movies. So it could be a very, very long list. This is like hyper curated here. And there's so many and I my worry always is that some author who I've met, whose book I've read is like, what? I'm not on your list, you monster. But please forgive me. I, these are just three that I picked that I thought were wonderful. There's one, it's called Sunshine Nails. It is by Mai Nguyen. And it is a environment that I'd never seen written about before or even you know displayed in film or television. And I bring that up because this book reads like a script. You read it and you're like this belongs on television. I don't know who would play these characters, but man, I can just see it unfolding in front of me. So it's about a Vietnamese Canadian family 
who are struggling to keep their family business. And the family business is a nail salon. It is called Sunshine Nails. And they're going through all this stuff that it's not pleasant. It's the rent. It's the gentrification. It's, uh, you know, new places moving across the street that are undercutting them. And it's, you know, addiction and other things inside the family that are competing to sort of derail the family business. And yet it never ceases to be humorous. And I love a mix of humor and heart. And this novel really succeeded in doing that. It's about not lighthearted subjects, but it is very lighthearted and and funny. Another book I just loved is called A History of Burning. It is by Janika Oza. And this is, you know, the word epic gets thrown around a lot. This is definitely an epic story. It spans numerous generations. It starts with a 13-year-old boy in India in the late 1800s who inadvertently, you know, without his own knowledge, is sent to Africa. He wants to make a few bucks. All of a sudden, he's on a ship, and he doesn't know how this happened. Some, you know, unethical merchant of some kind said, you want to make a few bucks? Come with me. And next thing you know, he was going to a ship. So you start thinking about the how generations and generations of families are created out of these strange acts. And so they move to Uganda and you see their life in Africa, Uganda and Kenya. And it is beautiful and heart-wrenching and awful and wonderful at the same time. And eventually they move from Africa for reasons that history buffs will know about. They leave that region to go to Canada and one of them to England And so it spans continents, it spans generations, it spans, you know, families. And it is a beautiful story about family and history and migration. And more than anything, the impacts of colonialism. One of the best things I've read, maybe in my life. We Meant Well is the third book that I'll recommend. This is a little biased. The author is a friend of mine, Iram, whose husband goes way back as a childhood friend of my wife's, that is not the reason that she's on this list. She happens to have also written a incredible book. It was long listed for the Giller Prize, the Scotiabank Giller Prize this year, just to, it's not just me talking, this is the Giller folks. And it is, I mean, it is again in a world that I know nothing about. It is in the world of charity and it really goes into the power dynamics of Charity, and I don't just mean writing a. Ch- I mean, you know, those organizations which Aram herself has worked for, those organizations that set up in these countries and try to help people internally who live in these countries. It is so illuminating to read about the various challenges that people have when they're trying to help and the other wonderful and awful things that happen as a result of people, often white people trying to help people of color in their own countries. And it's very well written. And the use of tension in this book is incredible. Yeah. So those are the three I'd recommend. Sunshine Nails, A History of Burning, and We Meant Well. Sounds good. I'll have to try and read at least one of those this year. Please, Asif. My podcast, which I had to put on the list, is one that I've sort of talked before about, but this is a new version of it. So this is called You Springin' Springsteen on My Bean. Oh, yeah. This is, I sent it to Ali because I'm like, yeah, listen to this. I listened to the first episode and I could not stop laughing. It's so ridiculous. So you guys might remember I talked about Adam Scott the famous actors and many things, stepbrothers, severance, he's been in everything, Big Little Lies. And Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang, they have a podcast where they go through, they pick an artist, the original one was you talking you two to me, and they went through all of, you know, their albums. And so they decided, this was during their writer's strike and the actor's strike, these guys didn't have a lot to do, so they said, let's get back into this, who should we pick? So they picked Springsteen, and they went through every one of his albums. It's still coming out, so they kept doing it even after the strikes were over. Their most recent episode, they covered Wrecking Ball, so they're getting very close to the end of his discography. I think (laughs) he only has about 19 That's no easy feat, Yeah, That is no easy feat. So, it's so much fun. They go through so so many tangents, but it's 
I laugh out loud all the time when I listen to it. So much so that when I'm driving, I almost have to pull over because I'm laughing so much. It is, it's such a great podcast. So if you think you'd like it again, it's also fun because you get to rediscover albums and then you listen to these albums. You're like, yeah, I never really sat and listened to Nebraska like I should have. And then so you can go you, back and. Have you mentioned the show host names? Yeah, I did at the very beginning. Okay. Adam Scott from Severance, which always reminds me how good a performance he did in Severance because he's such a naturally hilarious dude. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a summary of 2023 for Ali and I, and let's move into what we're looking forward to for 2024. So Ali, for the second half of our episode, let's preview what we're looking forward to in 2024. Now, Ali and I talked about this. We thought, let's just keep it to movies and TV because there's quite a bit of good stuff coming out. And so, Ali, why don't we start with movies and you could tell me your most anticipated movies for the upcoming year. Yes. And I think if there's one word that describes 2024, it's the word sequel Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of sequels. Did you like Inside Out? Mm-hmm. Well, Inside Out 2 is coming. Did you like Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice 2 is coming. They're probably not calling it 2. Another Venom, Paddington 3, less exciting. Dune Part 2, which is <laughs> so unbelievably extravagant. Anyway, Godzilla again, Despicable Me. There's a lot of sequels. Oh, okay. I would describe myself as not particularly excited about any of those. Okay. I am I'll watch. for a couple I'll of those. I, know, I bet you are. I I'll wait till my are. section to talk about those. Sure. Here's what I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Gladiator 2. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, Gladiator, one of my top five films of my life. So it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do we need this? Sometimes when the sequel comes out three years later, it feels like a cash grab and it feels like a money thing. Given that it's been 24 years, I think I don't have to look at this as a cash grab. So that's good. Ridley Scott is back directing. That's great. It'll have a great cast, not Russell Crowe, obviously, but it should be out at the end of November of 2024. So Paul Mescal is playing Lucius Verus. Lucius, of course, Gladiator's you know nephew. Not nephew. What should I, how should I say that? No, what he was the nephew of- Of Commodus. Phoenix's character, yeah. Yes, Commodus. yes, exactly. exactly yeah. And who gets saved in, in Gladiator, I guess. The nephew gets That's saved. right. Yeah. Ridley Scott has mentioned that it's been 15 years since Lucius was seen. He's been living in the wilderness with no connection to his mother, who he feels might be dead. Now, So he was previously portrayed by another actor named Spencer Treat Clark in Gladiator, but it'll be Paul Mescal here. Connie Nielsen is coming back as Lucius's mother. That's one of the people who is coming back. She played Lucilla, and Lucilla was Commodus's older sister, who he had a pretty weird and inappropriate relationship with. There's also another guy coming back who played Senator Gracchus, and that was Derek Jacobi. Now, if you look mm. up Derek Jacobi, that face is so castable as, a, as like a weasel. I mean, oh, he yeah. is so great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is so great. And Gracchus is the snitch in the Roman Senate. Denzel Washington is going to be in it as well, a slave turned wealthy arms dealer with a grudge against the emperors. Anyway, it promises to be Pedro Pascal is going to be in it. You can't forget Pedro Pascal from Last of Us is in it. I will never forget. And listen, it's on my list of anticipated things. And really, I was like, nah, you know, I could take it or leave it. But Paul Mescal, man, we talked about, uh, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but After Sun, which he was in last year. That movie is so good. Ali's daughter actually recommended yeah. it to me. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, she, she has pretty good taste. I'm like, I'll check it out. I was blown away by that movie, blown away by his performance. He is a great actor. As soon as I heard he was attached to this, I'm like, this is going to be a must-see. But only comes out in November 2024, Ali. Sorry to, I'm sorry that you have to be patient for it. But mm. yes, that is exactly what is happening. Another sequel that I'm excited about, the second Joker, mm-hmm. Folie à deux, huh? That's French, and that is exciting, buddy. It's again, you wonder, is this a cash grab or this kind of stuff? But just reading about it, I'd listened to an interview with Rad Simon Pillai. I don't know if you know who Rad is, a fantastic, you know, movie critic, talking about the shared psychosis, right? And it'll be 
Joker, who we know and love, Joaquin Phoenix, as well as Lady Gaga, who I just love. I just love everything about this woman. I, I've gone from, I was, remember, she would dress up in an eggshell and stuff. I was like, what is this? But it's just, I've grown to appreciate her so much. Of course, she's sort of mellowed out on that stuff, but I now appreciate all the old stuff. And Lady Gaga is going to be playing prison psychiatrist Harley Quinn, who's going to fall in love with Joaquin mm-hmm. Phoenix's character, which, you know, he's, he's quite unlovable. And also, here's the weird thing. It's going to be a musical, but it's not weird because Lady oh, Gaga. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, interesting, because it's on my list of things I'm looking forward to as well, but wow. You know, the first Joker, it's on one hand really good. On the other hand, if you really think about it, I'm not sure it makes any sense. And it was kind of co-opted by a lot of the bros, (laughs) to lack of a better term, and anti-establishment people, and and I don't know. It kind of was co-opted by maybe people I don't really want to be associated with, but I think it's a good movie. I think it was, and Joaquin Phoenix's performance was amazing, so I'm looking forward to this too. I think that's where I'm I'm so performance focused. That's the issue. Another one that I'm kind of looking forward to, but maybe shouldn't be because of my age, is Mean Girls. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. You know, the original Mean Girls, it was produced by Lorne Michaels from Saturday Night Live. And I don't know if this one is, but I do know that Tina Fey returned to write the screenplay. And I think Lorne Michaels was involved again. And they've been working on it since 2020. The first Mean Girls had a place in my heart. It was filmed, part of it at least, was filmed in Toronto. So there's certain actors who I know who are in it, and Daniel DeSantos and Sharon Matthews and Jen Caruana. There's, you know, these Toronto phenomenal actors who are in it, and they're they're great. So I'm worried that it just won't be for me, but I'll watch it with my children and everybody. I think we'll have a good time. Tina Fey's back. Tim Meadows is back. I feel like that's what they're doing for me. Rene Rapp is going to be it. Do you know who Rene Rapp is? Yes, I do. I wasn't sure. You, but have you I watched it, Sex Lives of College no, Girls? No, but I, I, when I heard, saw the preview for this movie, I saw who that is. Okay. So Rene Rapp, we watched actually on New Year's Eve... We watched her sing. I think it was from the LA New Year's Eve broadcast. So she's a great singer as well. She is going to be on SNL. If she hasn't already been on SNL, I might've missed it. And she's a terrific actor. And so that'll be great. But yeah, ensemble cast. I think it'll be a great romp. A couple of notes about this. So crazy part is the original Mean Girls came out in 2004. So we're talking 20 years ago, which can't- Yeah, it actually was a book- was 2002, right? It was yeah, based yeah, on this book, right, Rosalind right, Wiseman's right. Queen Bees and Wannabes. Correct, exactly. And then what happened was Tina Fey obviously did Mean Girls, and her husband is Jeff Richmond, who is a composer. So he's done the theme to 30 Rock and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And so he, working with lyricist Neil Benjamin, reworked the songs into a stage musical. So I don't know if you've seen the stage musical of Mean Girls. So I saw that with my family last summer. And then this movie is actually the musical. So it's a movie based on the musical, not just a reason. I sent my daughters to it and I was supposed to meet them, but I was filming something late and got there for the last 15 minutes of it. So the answer is no, I have not seen the musical, but yeah, it's a very interesting, right? Book to film, to musical, to film again. And I'm excited. There's (laughs) just, there's nothing. I know I'm going to see it. There's just no other way to say it. And then, you know, you and I were talking about this, and again, Rad Simon Pelai was talking about this as well, Megalopolis. I talked about this with somebody because Megalopolis is Francis Ford Coppola, so it's got that stamp on it, and he has got this, it's a very ambitious project, and it's actually Adam Driver who came on board, and Coppola is paying Adam Driver himself. We don't know too many details about this movie. $120 million production. No studio would pay up for it. It's this singular original concept like Apocalypse Now, also like Apocalypse Now. Nobody wanted to pay for that movie either. And so Francis Ford Coppola is making this like out of pocket. Now, when he's making out of pocket, he's obviously got very wealthy friends and, you know, probably doing it in a very intelligent way, not literally going into his bank. But yeah, no studio would sign up on it, even though Adam Driver is attached to it. So look up Megalopolis throughout the year. It should be a very, very interesting movie. Very interesting. Yes. Well, 
that was not on my list of anticipated things. I will talk about a couple of things that you already talked about, and then I'll list a couple other ones. So Inside Out 2, I'm really looking forward to. The more I think about the original Inside Out, I love that movie. And there's a lot of resonance for that movie after you become a parent, because the idea that you cannot protect your children from grief, and in fact, and sadness, and you shouldn't do that. It's just something you have to learn as a parent. You can't protect them all the time. And sadness is how we move forward with things. And so it really meant a lot to me. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this one with the family. Yeah, I'll be excited to revisit the first one again. My kids are a bit older and, you know, I have the younger kids who would probably appreciate it at some level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe watch that one before, before this one. Beetlejuice 2, I wasn't too sure, but then a couple things. First of all, it's Michael Keaton coming back again. It's Tim Burton coming back again. Catherine O'Hara is back. Winona Ryder is back. And if you're going to have a new cast member, Jenna Ortega from Wednesday, pretty good actress. So all those things are really exciting to me. And I rewatched the original Beetlejuice the other day with my family, and I'm like, that movie is good. It just propels along. It's really good. It's funny. I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but I think it's great. It's a good character, and it's funny that we never got more of that character, other than there was a Saturday morning cartoon, which I don't know if people That's remember. another one I'm going to rewatch Beetlejuice, which all my kids love. There's all these Beetlejuice references in the house from time to time, and then we're going to go to the theater for that. I think now, that's a good a couple more sequels, which you didn't mention. I can't believe this. Oh. Beverly Hills Cop, Axel F. <laughs> the new Beverly it. Hills Cop with... Eddie Murphy. Now, I'm a bit hesitant about this because they did do Coming to America Part 2, which was not good at all. She stink real bad. Yeah. So we'll see, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to come out on Netflix, so, you know, the cost will be minimal to see this. And then you missed Deadpool 3. The big news about that is Hugh Jackman is coming back as Wolverine. Like, you know, you offer people enough money and they'll come back. And Jennifer Garner is coming back playing Elektra, who is in a whole separate series of Daredevil movies. So everybody's coming together. And sounds pretty exciting. And Wolverine gets to wear his yellow and blue costume from the comics back in the day. So very exciting. You uh, had me at Hugh Jackman. And then just so I can pretend that I like things other than comic books and superheroes, Mickey 17 is the new movie from Bong Joon-ho, who made Parasite. Oh, yeah. And Parasite is a great movie, of course. Won the Oscar several years ago. This is the plot, okay? Robert Pattinson. Again, great actor, plays an astronaut sent to colonize an icy faraway planet. The mortality rate is so high, so he keeps getting copied, like because he keeps dying, but his memories are retained in the next clone or copy, which creates an existential crisis in himself. So, sounds amazing. I don't know what it's going to be about. So, kind of sci fi, kind of weird, but those two people I'm very excited to hear about. And then one last movie that's coming out. This month, I believe, is called ISS, about the International Space Station. I saw a preview for this when I saw the Iron Claw. I don't know if you saw this. The premise is so good. You have American and Russian astronauts on the International Space Station. And while on the space station, they look and see the Earth, and they see that there's like a war going on, like nuclear war is going on. And they get a secret message, the Americans do, saying, you need to eliminate all the Russians on the International Space Station. And you presume the Russians get a secret message saying the same thing. So now it's this tense suspense movie in outer space. I'm like, this sounds great. Is it going to be great? I don't know. But the director is Gabriella Coperthwaite, and she directed Blackfish. Do you remember the movie Blackfish, all about like the orca at SeaWorld? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Right? It was Everybody, more of a documentary. Wasn't yeah, it? documentary, yes, exactly. Yes, of so course. I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, she's a documentary filmmaker. And then and I was making this suspense outer space movie. I'm like, sounds good. I think sign me up for that one. Listen, we saw the preview when we went to see Iron Claw for that very film. And in unison, myself and my friend turned to each other and we said, I'd see that. Like, that's absolutely worth seeing. By the way, just so you and I don't sound like monsters, R.I.P. to an actor from the movie Parasite, Lee Sun-kyun, who played the Park family father, died just before New Year's. 48 years old, died very young, unfortunately. very sad. Ali, let's finish off this episode by talking about anticipated TV shows for the next year. I have two. Okay. I have two. 
as I shamefully told you in person recently, Asif, I've only just got back into True Detective. Sorry, I've only just got into, I don't know why I use the word back. I've only started watching True Detective at the end of 2023, beginning of 2024. And I watched season one, watched season two, still have to watch season three. And then I will watch season four, which has just come out January 14th on HBO, filmed in Iceland, set in Alaska, but filmed in Iceland. I don't know why you wouldn't just film. Anyway, investigation behind the disappearance of eight men from a research station. Star is Jodie Foster. And Callie Rice is opposite her. People will not know her unless they've seen one thing she's done. She's actually, I believe, a martial artist or kickboxer. That's her rise to fame. But they have a lot of faith in her that she's going to be able to have a supporting role opposite Jodie Foster. So it's great. And then second show I'm very excited about, and I know I'm not alone here, White Lotus season three. So I will talk about my TV series for 2024. So a lot of cartoons and comic book series, as you guys can imagine. So one of them is X-Men 97. There was a cartoon and X-Men animated series in the 1990s that was a classic kind of cartoon that lots of people have watched, has a famous theme song. They're basically redoing that animated series with a classic roster, costumes, voice cast. So kind of a reboot, kind of not. So that should be exciting. That's on Disney+. Plus. Kite Man is a supporting character on the Harley Quinn animated series. Again, I didn't mention that on my top TV shows of the year. Again, a hilarious TV show. So he's getting his own spinoff. Very funny, very inappropriate, but it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And then Matt Reeves' movie, The Batman, with Robert Pattinson. The supporting character was the Penguin, played by Colin Farrell, in a completely unrecognizable role. You would have no idea it's Colin Farrell. And he gets his own spinoff TV series this year as well, The Penguin. So that should be- Played by Colin Farrell? Yeah, yeah, on HBO Max. And then, so two other ones that aren't comic book based. One of them is Donald Glover is going to be in the new Mr. and Mrs. Smith movie. No, TV show, actually, based on the movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie from 2005. So it's himself and Maya Erskine playing a pair of spies who work undercover as a married couple. And sounds really good. I think Donald Glover has a big hand in this TV show. It was supposed to be Phoebe Waller-Bridge playing his wife, and then that didn't work out for various reasons. But guest stars, including Paul Dano, Parker Posey, Michaela Cole, and Ron Perlman. So sounds pretty exciting from that point of view. And then probably the show that I'm looking forward to the most is going to come out on Netflix in March. It's called The Three-Body Problem. Now, the bad news is it's produced by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Now, you guys might recall that they made Game of Thrones. And everybody liked Game of Thrones up until the last two seasons where it was not good. And it kind of felt like they were trying to wrap up that show. As I read somewhere on the internet, one TV critic said it felt like you're at a restaurant <laughs> and the writers were like waiters putting the chairs up on the, on tables while you're still right, eating, right? right. right? Like, so just they, to... Were they rushing to make this show, perhaps? Is that what it perhaps. was? Perhaps. They also were... They were supposed to make a show where they're like, what if the South won the Civil War and slavery still existed? Yeah, I don't know if you guys should be making this. So, you know, so with that idea, pretty bad. Then the Game of Thrones failing. So people might be a bit hesitant about this. But this is based on Xi Liu's novel, series of novels. But The Three-Body Problem is, is the first of these three novels. And basically, it's a bit complicated to explain. You don't want to give away too many spoilers, but basically it's about extraterrestrial life and this video game that people play trying to solve this three-body problem. The three-body problem is what happens when you have multiple suns orbiting a planet and how would you survive when you have multiple suns? But this is some of the hardest science fiction I've ever read, Sijin Liu's novel. So it's very science-based and I'm very curious as how they're going to convert this because it's great. It's critically acclaimed novel and a series of novels, but I'm very curious how they're going to do it. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'd be more excited if it was your three sons, as in, you know, boys who are your children are orbiting. And then I'd be like, that is a funny and fun show that I want to hear about. Ollie has enough problem with two sons. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to see them in orbit from time to time. Hey, get out of here. 
Nah, they're great. So that's our episode for today. Let us know what you guys thought about Best of 2023. What did we miss? What do you guys completely disagree with? And what else are you looking forward to for 2024? And remember to reach out to us, drvcomedian on gmail.com. Let us know what you guys thought. Dr. V Comedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere. And before we go, please remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about, which we did not do today, are for your information and entertainment only. And they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye.